0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
2: And I'm Cynthia Roberts. This is WFHB Local News for Tuesday, August 9th,
1: 2022. Later in the program, Indiana University announced that it will increase the minimum stipend and waive mandatory fees for graduate workers. WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Katie Shai, media correspondent for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition in today's feature report.
2: Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your local headlines.
1: On August 3rd, at the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting, various members of the community asked the commissioners to prioritize the convention center expansion during public comment. President of the Chamber of Commerce, Eric Spoonmore, said that the Chamber of Commerce would like to see meaningful progress on the project.
3: The chamber has been a strong proponent of the expanded convention center project, which is supposed to be funded by the Monroe County Food and Beverage Tax, which passed five years ago. Since 2018, the food and beverage tax has collected over $14 million, but sadly, there's been no progress on the expansion. Understandably, the COVID pandemic disrupted the planning and construction process, but I'm confident that that the community is now ready to focus on our future and identify a path forward for meaningful progress on the expansion plans. As you know, the county commissioners play a critical role in the convention center expansion process because you own the convention center assets. The city has an equally critical role to play because it holds the food and beverage tax revenue that's been earmarked for the expansion of the convention center. And over the past several months, I've been having a lot of conversations about the convention center expansion with our businesses and city and county officials, including you all. Uh, I can say undeniably that there's strong enthusiasm for jumpstarting this project as soon as possible. And this would include the overwhelming majority of the elected officials uh, that I have spoken with, many of which have made recent public statements to that effect. The chamber, our membership, and particularly our small downtown Bloomington-based businesses are in strong support of the expansion, and we'd like to see meaningful progress made as soon as possible. And to that end, we seek your partnership.
1: Spoonmore said that they will be presenting to the Monroe County Council next week and asked the commissioners to attend as well. Deputy Mayor Don Griffin also commented that he is looking forward to making progress on the convention center expansion.
3: I'm Don Griffin. I'm the deputy mayor for the city of Bloomington. Hope you're doing well. Um, um, wanna talk to you a, a little bit about what uh, Eric uh, uh, just proposed. Um, the city of Bloomington is very excited to uh, look into the future of getting this done. It's been set five years. I think it was 2017 uh, when we let the public know that we are moving forward with the expansion of the convention center. Um, We're ready to talk. I'm ready to listen. And uh, let's move forward.
1: Convention Center Management Company Executive Director Talisha Kopak shared that the convention center has been busy and she expects the trend to continue now that people are vaccinated and ready to network in person.
4: Uh, just wanted to say thank you for your support of the Convention Center over the years. Um, today, I'm sharing that our local business and conference business is back to, by the end of the year, to 2018 levels. Um, and the schedule looks strong for next year. Um, our local groups need their fundraisers. Our local citizens need their social events, such as wedding, we're hosting a big Indian wedding this Sunday. Um, local corporations need their meetings and associations need their educational and networking components this year we've seen attendance at the event steadily growing um you know just from our experience over the 30 years uh, you know 1991 was a recession 2008 was a recession 2020 the pandemic and uh you know we the hospitality industry here in town has been able to bounce back from that um i did want to share some of the groups that have been here over the last couple of weeks, uh, Indiana rural water Alliance was here for a three day conference. Um, you know, they're doing business, Midwestern engineers, Subtility. um, Talking about rural water development, um, secretly Canadian distribution is there this week for three days. If you get a chance to come down, it's 30-year-olds and very tech music oriented for the their label Summit. Spotify is there, Asthmatic Kitty, Space Bomb. So it's kind of this whole new like generation of people you know, still wanting to gather. They still want to see each other. They want to network. We're starting to see the hybrid stuff really kind of go away.
1: Next, the commissioners heard from Highway Director Lisa Ridge, who asked for various traffic ordinances to be approved.
0: Um, so this is to amend uh, Ordinance 86-12, uh, which is yield, stop lo- yield locations at Chapel Hill Road, westbound for Guthrie Road slash Chapel Hill Road. And Rose Creek Drive for Indian Valley. Those are deletions. And then we amend 8612 to add the following yield locations Victor Pike southbound for Fluckmill Road, slash Victor Pike, and Indian Valley Drive for Rose Creek Drive. Then we are amending 86 06 at the following stop locations. Uh, these are additions Guthrie Road for Chapel Road, Chapel Hill Road for Guthrie Road. It'll make it an all way stop. And then 8901 ordinance is to add the following no truck locations uh, for Lawson Road and Fleming Place. And these were um, approved at the Last Traffic Commission Board, and they also are warranted within the MUTCB.
1: The commissioners approved the changes unanimously. The next commissioner's meeting will be held on August 10th.
2: Up next, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. KiteLine airs each Friday at 5.30 p.m. on WFHB. The program is available online at wfhb.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: On Friday, July 15, three men were cleared of their convictions in one of the most horrifying crimes of 1990s New York, the murder of a subway clerk who was set on fire in his toll booth. A judge dismissed the murder convictions of Vincent Ellurb, James Irons, and Thomas Malik after Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez cited, quote, serious problems with the evidence on which these convictions are based and pointed to doubts about the men's confessions and problems with witness identifications. Ellurb, aged 44, was paroled in 2020, but Malik and Irons, both 45, have remained in prison for decades. The three confessed to murdering Harry Kaufman in 1995, and the case resounded from New York to Washington to Hollywood, after parallels were drawn between the deadly arson and a scene in the movie Money Train. In a press release, Gonzalez stated, "'The findings of an exhaustive, "'years-long reinvestigation of this case "'leave us unable to stand by the convictions. He acknowledged, quote, The harm done to these men by this failure of our system. Prosecutors explain that the men's confessions conflicted with one another and with evidence at the crime scene. The men have long said they were coerced into falsely confessing in the case. The lead detective on the case was later accused repeatedly of forcing confessions and framing suspects. Attorney Ronald Kuby represents Malik and Ilerb. Kubi said that Alerb is extraordinarily happy to see his conviction overturned, while Malik is still getting his head around the long-awaited wish that prosecutors will reconsider the case. Friday was, quote, the first day he actually allowed himself to believe that he's going to be free.
6: Jahan A 31-year-old activist was arrested, along with dozens of other Muslims, in February 2020 during mass protests against a controversial citizenship law passed by Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Hindu nationalist government in December 2019. The Citizenship Amendment Act forced non-Muslim migrants and refugees from India's neighboring countries to apply for Indian citizenship if they arrived in India before December 2014. Read together with a proposed National Register of Citizens, many saw the CAA-NRC plans as a first step to entirely disenfranchising India's Muslim minority. The passage of the CAA and fears over a potential NRC triggered a wave of peaceful demonstrations across India, with Muslim women leading the sit-ins at various places, including at Shaheen Bagh, a working-class Muslim-dominated neighborhood in Southeast Delhi, which turned into the epicenter of the protests. Jahan, a lawyer and former municipal councillor elected from her locality, organized one such female-led protest in East Delhi's Kureji area. Leaders and ministers belonging to Modi's right-wing BJP, incited violence against the sit-ins, and called on supporters to shoot the protesters. These hate speeches led to a killing spree in eastern parts of Delhi in the last week of February 2020, where more than 50 people, most of them Muslims, were killed while dozens of houses and mosques were torched. Palestinian prisoners will start a protest on March 25th to demand respect for their human rights and an end to the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian territories. Over 4,000 detainees in Israel's prisons will join the protest, which may include an indefinite hunger strike. They demand Israel to end the administrative detentions, an arbitrary procedure by which the Israeli state detains Palestinians indefinitely without allowing their lawyers access to alleged prosecution evidence. Currently, Israeli prisons house 4,600 Palestinians, among whom are 160 minors and 34 women. The vast majority of them remain in detention without charge or trial. The Palestinian prisoners will also demand that Israel cease the expansion of settlements, a violent process that uses the demolition of dwellings in the West Bank and East Jerusalem as a method to expel Arab families.
1: In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with media correspondent for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, Katie Shai, about IU's recent announcement that it will increase the minimum stipend and waive mandatory fees for grad workers. We turn now to that interview.
7: Well, Katie Shai, member of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, welcome to the WFHB Local News. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. Um, So last week, IU Bloomington said it will increase the minimum stipend and waive mandatory fees for grad workers. So I just wanted to get your take off the bat. How do you feel about the university's push to increase wages and to waive fees?
8: The increased wages make a big difference in the lives of a lot of graduate workers. And as a coalition, we're really proud that our collective action led to this result for our members. On the other hand, um, there's a lot that remains for us to fight for. The international student fee was not part of the mandatory fees that were waived um, by the task force. Our stipends fall below the cost of living in Bloomington still. And most importantly, the gains that were announced last week don't represent a permanent solution to the stagnant wages that we've been facing for several years to graduate workers' lack of input into their working conditions. And that's the kind of permanent solution that we're looking for is union recognition.
7: I see. I see. So it, it seems like this latest news, you know, it it meets some of your demands, I suppose, but it doesn't go far enough. So for those who might be unfamiliar with the Grad Workers Union and kind of what you are fighting for, what are the some of the specific demands of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition?
8: Fundamentally, we're fighting for the ability to bargain with the administration. So to sit down at the table and have a voice Before decisions about what our working conditions, uh, will look like have been made. And with that seat at the table, we'll advocate for things like more benefits for grad workers, things like better mental health care. We'll advocate for fairness for international students. So I mentioned that the C is still in place. That's a big part of what we'll be fighting for this year. We can fight for an effective grievance procedure. So some place for graduate workers to turn if they're encountering problems that are preventing them from doing effective research. And what all that kind of adds up to is really prioritizing allowing graduate workers to do excellent teaching and research. So we really believe that the things we're asking for, the things that the union will be bargaining about, will lead to better education for students from all over Indiana.
7: And you had talked about, you know, wanting to get at the seat, uh, a seat at the table with the university. And that's kind of like your entryway in. And once you get that seat, you know, these are all the things you're going to fight for. Would you talk about the grad workers relationship with university officials to pass this measure of increasing stipends and halting mandatory fees and sort of like what went into that effort from your end?
8: Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question, um, because the task force's recommendations, which ultimately got adopted, do clearly mirror the platform of the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition. However, university communications have painted the raises and the gains as solely stemming from the task force. And so it's kind of interesting, as you know, the coalition declined to participate in the task force and its related working groups because we believe that that's a parallel body and it's an unnecessary one since we have this robust group of graduate workers who are ready to participate in doing research into grad worker conditions, in answering all the questions that the university might have. But we didn't participate in the task force or any of the groups that the provost has cited as advising this decision. So there really wasn't meaningful communication of the sort that we're hoping to achieve in the future.
7: Right. That's that's very interesting. So you're saying, you know, what the task force recommendations were kind of mirrored what the grad workers are advocating for. So do you think this shows some kind of fear? on behalf of the university, you know, the the strike in the spring, that's not necessarily great PR. Are they trying to, you know, satisfy some of your demands so that you don't go on strike in the fall or or what what are what's your take on that at least?
8: Yeah, that's a great question. And there's no question that our our strike in the spring was a huge disruption to the functioning of Bloomington's campus as a whole. And so it absolutely makes sense that the administration wants to avert that happening again in the fall, giving raises, even raises of the magnitude that we just saw, right? Basically 25% is a move that several other universities have also made in the early stages of grad worker union formation. So I think your insight that the raises are meant to appease graduate workers and head off a strike is really spot on and really supported by these other examples across the country of universities doing the same thing. But what we've seen is that it doesn't work. <laughs> graduate workers can see that what we're being offered here is a one-time raise with no guarantee, even that these stipends stay in place. No guarantee that a sustainable source of funding will be found to keep wages where they are or to keep them rising with inflation. So graduate workers can can interpret um, this move to appease us and say our strike worked in getting us to this point and we're going to keep fighting until we have a permanent solution.
7: Right, so it seems like from your end, this is sort of like a band aid to a, to a larger problem, and, and you're you're hoping for more. Um, so, looking onward to the fall semester, as we were just mentioning, do you do you guys have plans to continue the strike?
8: Mm-hmm. Um, our strike authorization vote was set in the spring, actually, for September twenty fifth, and we're anticipating the strike beginning the next day on the 26th. And that's, you know, a pending at any point, the university can initiate a conversation about starting to recognize the union. And should they do that? You know, it's it's likely that class could continue in the fall instead of seeing hundreds of classes canceled across campus.
7: I see. I see. Well, that will be interesting how that all plays out. Um. Now, just looking onward, for the fall. What else does the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition have planned for the fall semester?
8: So we continue to grow our membership uh, with new graduate workers coming on board every day. We continue to build our capacity to advocate for our members. We're collecting insight into what we need to be advocating for in the months ahead. We've done a lot of research and structural work over the summer to ensure that members feel comfortable turning to the union as a real advocate for them on campus Um, and so we'll continue that work into the fall we're also preparing for our strike vote graduate workers will soon be pledging that they will withhold their labor should the vote be a yes And we're working also on objecting to the new contracts that the university issued for the 22-23 school year. So those are Uh, some of the initiatives that are ongoing for the fall.
7: I see. Well, it sounds like you all are fairly busy and it seems like, you know, leading up to September, you and I will probably speak again, um, you know, with the developments that are Are going to be at play. Um, Now, Katie, these are all the questions that I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the floor, give you the last word here. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
8: Yeah, I think your questions have been really excellent and helped kind of lay out graduate workers' response to the raise. The last thing I think I would say is that we're really looking to build a better IU and really looking to set up both graduate education and undergraduate education for success in the years to come. Right, We want to leave a legacy at IU that looks like a union, that looks like a university that's funding its classrooms and its labs and its world-class research. So we're looking forward to a fall semester that gets us closer to that goal.
7: All right. Well, Katie Shai, media correspondent for the Indiana Graduate Workers Coalition, thank you for coming on to the WFHB local news.
8: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar powered generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com.
1: You've been listening to the WFHB local news. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with Cats Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young.
2: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Cynthia
1: Roberts. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org.
2: The WFHB Local News is available as a podcast. Just search our call letters at WFHB wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program.
1: Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.